Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Father, Lord, I, I, I humble myself before you, Lord, just as a, as a servant, as a, as a son, as a child of God, as a teacher, as a pastor this morning, and just ask you to speak through me and to your people. And uh, speak to me as well, Father. And I pray that, Lord, as we, as we look at uh, the kingdom of God in us, in our midst, that we understand how that can transform our lives and transform the way we see our world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I, I don't think you have to have been a part of this church very long at all to know that one of my favorite subjects is the kingdom of God. Um, I, I, I've talked about it often through the years. I, I just did a six-part series last summer called Thy Kingdom Come. So we did just in June, of July, June and July of last year, I did a six-part series called Thy Kingdom Come. And I've done this over the years because I learned very early on in my Christian life that this was Jesus' favorite subject. So I'm kind of in good company. If I, if I talk a lot about the kingdom of God, I'm in good company because Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. Most theologians will tell you that Jesus' favorite subjects seem to be the kingdom of God. And it seemed to be his primary message. And it continued to be the primary message of the disciples or the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts. You've heard me say this before, that the main message of the book of Acts is there's a new king, and so it's about the kingdom of God. Uh, we'd like to say, oh, it's all about the love of God and all that, and that's all wonderful, and yes, there's, there's love. But, but the primary message of the book of Acts was the kingdom of God. And by the way, that should be our primary message as well. But you know, oddly, I don't hear Christians talk much about the kingdom of God. Uh, most of the well-known and loved verses uh, that we know speak of the kingdom of God. For instance, seek first the kingdom of God. We are to pray, thy kingdom come. We end that prayer with, for thine is the kingdom. Uh, we, we know the verse that uh, in the book of Revelation, one day the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We also hear about the keys of the kingdom. So the New Testament is full of talk about the kingdom. And again, some of our favorite verses involve the kingdom of God. Many theologians believe that this is what they call the meta narrative of the entire Bible. That the entire the meta narrative is their fancy word for saying the big story. The big story of the entire Bible is the kingdom of God, is God's kingdom and God's rulership. But again, strangely, it seems most Christians are not even sure what the kingdom of God even means. And if we are pressed, if someone were to ask you, define the kingdom of God. I think we would be hard-pressed to 
define that. I remember a conversation a few years ago that I was having with a Bible teacher. And the Bible teacher uh, in the conversation asked me, he said, could you please explain the kingdom of God to me? Here's a person who teaches the Bible but but couldn't define the kingdom of God. And if it's that important to God and Christianity, why do Christians seem so ignorant of it? And I'll use a form of that word, not only are ignorant of it, but ignore it. And I say they ignore it because it's not really a part of the vocabulary of most Christians. You don't hear, you don't hear that coming out of the mouths of Christians very often. We talk about a lot of things, faith, love, hope, all these kinds of things. But it's such a crucial part of the Bible, the meta-narrative of the Bible, the big story of the Bible, what Jesus' primary message was, what the followers of, the, of, of Jesus, their primary message was. And yet we hear very little of, of that kind of talk from Christians. But it's so crucial that it should be, it should influence all that we do and how we even think. It should be the lens through which we view our world. We should view our world through the kingdom of God. But sadly, it's not part of our conversation. And I think that reveals something about us because if it's not abundantly in our hearts, it will not be prominent in our speech. If it's not abundantly in our hearts, it will not be prominent in our speech. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever is in our heart will be spoken through our mouth. I was having a conversation, and maybe this is where this came from. I don't know. I I thought about it a lot because as I was working on it yesterday, I thought, where did this come from? Why, Why this now? And maybe it came from a conversation I was having with someone this past week. We weren't agreeing on worldview or culture or those kinds of things. Uh, This person could only see things from a purely humanistic perspective. And what I mean by that is they were leaving God out of his own world. Think about that for a moment. They were leaving God out of his own world. And when you have a godless world, then you have a world with no rules and no limitations and anything goes and we can just do whatever we want to do. There's no such thing as sin and all those kinds of things. And righteousness becomes scarce. Okay? So this becomes a place where man is king and God is not. This becomes a place, and by the way, it it reminded me of the fatal words of those who were crying out for God to be crucified. And I'm going to say that again. The crowd that was crying out for God to be crucified, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, they were crying out for God to be crucified. And Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And remember their response? We'll put it up on the screen for you. Here's their response. We have no king but Caesar. In other words, what they're saying is, and think about this in light of today. We are happy with, the, with government without God. We are happy with the government we have. We don't want this God to interfere with the government we have. We'd rather do away with God and make our own way. Our ways are wiser than God's anyway. Why do we need this pesky God telling us what to do? and how to live, and how to think. 
And we don't need this old archaic book, do we? And as Christians, that's what we're up against. As Christians today, that's what we're up against because there is a move towards a more secular society. And when I say secular, that means God being kicked out of of government and not just government, but God being kicked out of his own world. We don't want God. We don't want God to be involved. The whole separation of church and state thing. You can't separate God. You You can't segment your life and say, God can be a part of this part of my life, but he can't be a part of this part of my life. You can't do that. God is either a part of all of life, including state, including everything. God is either part of his world or you've kicked him out of his world. If you kicked him out of one part, you might as well kick him out of the rest of, rest of it. And I didn't mean to get on that little soapbox for a minute. But anyway, what's happening is we're moving towards a more secular society and one that is absent of God and his kingdom. And perhaps that's why Jesus taught us to pray Thy kingdom come. And I thought about this, and I don't know why as many times as I've prayed that prayer and thought about it and preached on it and taught it and so forth, I don't know why I've never thought about this before, but, and, and, and I know it's such a simple thing. We, we probably ought to, we, we, we should pray this prayer every day. Because the very next request after thy kingdom come is, give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. Not tomorrow's bread, but our daily bread. Which means tomorrow we're going to have to pray it again. And tomorrow we'll have to pray it again, which means we have to pray, Thy kingdom come every day. In other words, this is something we ought to be praying and thinking about and be on our radar every single day, the kingdom of God. So, with this series, what I want to do, I don't know how long it's going to be, I want to say four weeks, maybe three, but four weeks at least. I want to talk about the part that we play in the increase of God's kingdom. The coming of the kingdom of God was, has always been what the world has needed. The world still needs the kingdom of God. And from the moment that man fell in the garden and the curse came, God proclaimed an eventual coming of his kingdom. How did he do that? When he said in Genesis chapter 3.15, he said the seed of the woman is going to ultimately is going to arrive and prevail over all of our enemies. If that's not coming in kingdom power and authority and, and uh, 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 government or whatever, that verse right there was saying someone is going to come one day and prevail over all of our enemies. That is the... The, the proclamation or the prophecy that the kingdom of God is going to arrive one day through the seed of the woman. The prophets also declared it. Isaiah was one of the better, one of the ones that, that gave the clearest message of the coming of the kingdom. And uh, Isaiah calls it a gospel. He calls it good news. Um, I remember discovering this a number of years ago and thought, wow, you know, this is such an important verse in the middle of the prophets where God is saying, look, the kingdom of of God is coming and it's going to be good news. And this is what he says in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. The word gospel, the Greek word gospel means good news. Who brings good news or brings the gospel, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, 
who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, you can be saved from your sins, or God loves you and he's going to die for you. And those That's not the message. The message, the good news, the gospel is that your God reigns. The message of the gospel is that God is going to rule in our midst, that he's going to set up his kingdom in our midst. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And Isaiah talks about this. And by the way, Paul quotes this in Romans... Paul quotes Isaiah 52, verse 7 in Romans chapter 10 when he's talking about salvation. He says, what does the Bible say? How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring the gospel or bring good news. So he quotes this as part of, part of our salvation. So the good news here is about the reign of God or the rulership of God or his kingdom. And by the way, the very next verse, verse 8, says this. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see, eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. The return of the Lord. Lord is Yahweh here, Jehovah. It's, it's God. The return of God. The return of God to Zion. In other words, the, the reigning or the rulership or the kingdom of God was going to come and going to be inaugurated by God returning to, to, to earth in such a way to establish his rulership and his kingdom. That's why Matthew, the first gospel, understood the true message of his gospel, his good news, by calling it this, we'll put it up on the screen, the gospel of the kingdom three times Three times Matthew uses this phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. Not the gospel of the crucifixion or the gospel of the resurrection or the cross, gospel of Jesus died for your sins, but the gospel of the kingdom. It's the good news of the kingdom that God has returned. He understood the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ, that this was, this was the return of Yahweh to our world. And with his presence, with God's presence, comes the reign of God. We need to get this. This is what we need to get this morning. God's presence brings with it God's authority. Wherever God is, God is in authority. He, he, is, he is the ruler. So God coming in the birth of Jesus was an establishment of his kingdom. That's why Jesus talked about it so much. Because God manifest in the flesh was saying, I'm here now. And by being here, my kingdom is here. I'm establishing my kingdom. This is what we've all been waiting for. So wherever God is, is his rulership. That is, his kingdom. It can't be any other way. Sometimes, by the way, we can be in a crowd of people and not know who's in charge. Sometimes crowds just don't have people in charge, and that's chaos. But oftentimes, you know, I, I've... I've said this years ago because I understand authority, and I, I, I used to say that whenever I'm around people, I look around to see who's in charge. Who, who's in charge of this mess? Who's in charge of this in this room? Other times we know exactly who's in charge. Think of the military. You don't have to question who's in charge there. Somebody has to, you know, you have to answer to somebody, and that somebody has to answer to somebody else. You know, so, so sometimes we know who's in charge. Do you believe God can be somewhere and not be in charge? If God has come to planet Earth, then guess what? Guess who's in charge now? All right, there's a new sheriff in town. You know, I'm in charge. 
I remember years ago at my church in Wyoming, we were about to build a big, uh, begin a big building uh, project, remodeling of the building we were renting. We were going to completely renovate it. And I was the pastor, and on any Sunday in church, I was in charge. But with, but with this project, I knew I was over my head. I, know, I knew nothing about construction in those days. No, a little bit more, but still not what I need to know. So we gathered together on the first Saturday to start the big project of remodeling. And as, as most of the men would do on any given Sunday, they all look at me and say, okay, now what do we do? And I thought, I can't be in charge of this. So I looked at a guy that I knew built homes in our church, and I looked at him and said, he's in charge. We follow him. <laughs> and, and so every time we met together, I was under his authority. You tell me what to do. You tell me you know, what to go hammer and what to go saw and, and so forth. The next day, though, we're back in the same building, and guess who's in charge? I'm in charge. Okay? So things change when, you know, sometimes who's in charge changes. Sometimes the person that is in charge changes. Think politically right now, by the way. Sometimes that changes. But not with God. Whenever God arrives on the scene, he's always in charge. Guess who's in charge? God is. And so if God came to planet Earth, guess who's in charge? Guess whose kingdom it is? All right, so we don't have to question that. So when God shows up and he arrives on the scene, when the king shows up, so does his kingdom. And wherever God is, his kingdom is, and wherever his kingdom is, he is. So after Adam's fall in the garden, it was a mess. Think about this. When, God, when, when Adam uh, sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, it was a mess. It was chaos, and God showed up, and everything changed. Suddenly, Adam wasn't in charge, and Eve wasn't in charge, and the serpent wasn't in charge. God was. Here's another example. Let's take Pharaoh. Pharaoh, in the book of Exodus, was a mighty world ruler, and uh, no one questioned that. But one day, God showed up in Pharaoh's house, and suddenly, there was a new sheriff in town. Suddenly, everything changed. Suddenly, Pharaoh was no longer in charge. God was in charge. Oh, he thought he was, and sometimes we think we are. Sometimes we think we're in charge. Sometimes we think we're the big dog. Sometimes we think we're, we're the smartest person in the room. But listen, he thought he was still in charge, but he found out that he was helpless and powerless against God's authority. One final example of this in Psalms chapter 2, if you're familiar with that passage, it says, why do the heathen rage in the, in the people of the earth take, take a stand against God? It talks about the kings banding together against God and saying, we're going to shirk his, his power and so forth. But the Bible says God laughs at that. And God says, I will set my king on my holy hill. And when, he, when God sets his king, when he installs his king on his holy hill, all the kings must submit the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So, the simple message is, wherever God is, his kingdom is, his rulership, his government. 
So the kingdom of God was inaugurated with the coming of God in the flesh. God showed up in the person of the man, Christ Jesus, and they would know him, the angel said they would know him as Emmanuel. That's why I sang the song this morning, God with us, because Emmanuel, Emmanuel means God with us. So with, with Jesus Christ, full of God, God himself, enclosed in flesh, now installed on planet earth, the kingdom of God had finally arrived. The kingdom of God was now in our midst. And Jesus proclaimed this. He boldly proclaimed this. John, his predecessor, began to preach and say, get ready because the kingdom of God is very near. And then Jesus shows up and guess what? Here it is. Kingdom of God has arrived. And so Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. And he told his disciples, he said, wherever you go, wherever you go, he said, this is what I want you to proclaim. You can be saved from your sins. No, that's not what he said. He said, this is where I, what I want you to say. Wherever you go, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Tell them that God's rulership has arrived in this earth. One day he was casting a demon out of a boy. And he turned around and he said, this is proof that the kingdom of God has come upon you. One verse I'm going to put up on the screen here, Luke chapter 17, verse 21. This is what we started with, the second part of the verse, the verse we started with. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's among you. It's right here, right now. And folks, it is, the kingdom of God is right here, right now among us. Why was the kingdom of God among them or in their midst? You know why? Because Jesus was there among them. This is what he was telling the Pharisees. Pharisees asked the question. Stephen, if it's not too much trouble, go to the very first verse that we started with. Because I want you to get the context of that verse. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. And then, next verse, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. He's telling the Pharisees, look, you don't have to wonder when the kingdom of God is coming one day. I want to tell you that the kingdom of God is among you. Why? Because he was among them. Because he was there. And wherever God is, there the, there's the kingdom. Now, I'm going to share something with you I shared 12 years ago that uh, became like a, a little phrase, a motto that we used over the next six weeks. And uh, I shared this 12 years ago, and it's just as important now, if not more so, as when I said it a dozen years ago. God was in Jesus. I'll share the phrase in just a second, but let me just prepare it. God was in Jesus. God was in Jesus. And Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. That's why Jesus could boldly declare, the kingdom of God is here among you because I am here among you. In a similar way, God is in me. God is in me. Right? Is God in you? I mean, the Bible says that if you, if you, if you know Christ, uh, I'm going to share a couple of verses. Actually, I'm going to share them now. I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself. I'm going to share them now. Here's the verses on this. 
In uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of, Spirit of God, Spirit of God dwells in you. And the next verse, in 1 John 4, 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Is God in you this morning? Is God in you? God is in you, just like God was in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ but because God was in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God was in Jesus Christ. And, and because God was in Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God was in Jesus Christ, Jesus could therefore say, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is here right now among you. And so the famous line that I shared from a dozen years ago, do you know how I know the kingdom of God is in this place today? Because I am here. Come on, do the math. I mean, think about it. God was in Jesus, and because God was in Jesus, therefore the kingdom of God was there. And so wherever Jesus was, the kingdom of God was there, and God is in you. And so wherever you are, so is the kingdom of God. God is, God is wherever you are. God, listen, he either is in us or he is not in us. And the Bible says, by the way, if he's not in you, then you need to come forward this morning and we need to talk. Because the Bible says if you know Christ Jesus, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that God dwells in you. And if God is in you, so is the kingdom of God. And so wherever you are, so is the kingdom of God. So since God is in you and therefore his kingdom is, is in you, when you walk into a room, guess what? The kingdom of God arrives in that room. Right? The kingdom of God is in your house. Why? Because you're in your house. Because God is in you, and wherever God is, so is his rulership, so is his kingdom, and, and so the kingdom of God is in the midst of your house. The kingdom of God is in your workplace because you're there. The kingdom of God is in Walmart as soon as you walk through the door. Well, what does all of this mean? Well, that's for the rest of the messages, okay? The kingdom in me, the kingdom in me, that's what I want to talk about the next three weeks. I want to talk about the kingdom in me. Because we have to begin to believe that the kingdom is in, in me is in me. I represent the kingdom. I am the kingdom. Because I have submitted myself to God. I have submitted myself to the lordship of God. I've submitted myself to the king. I am a king's servant. But not only that, but the king lives in me and God lives in me. God is in me, and therefore his kingdom is in me, and his rulership and his authority is in me. So wherever I am, so is the kingdom. And so thy kingdom come, a lot of times is just us coming into a place and understanding our responsibility, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but understanding our responsibility in the place where, where we are. So that's what I want to talk about, talk to you about the next three weeks. And as I said, we're done early. But I knew that we would do that because we didn't have the long worship service that we normally have.